You guys ever hit that that nerve that's in your? I'm telling you what, I hit that thing so hard yesterday, I felt like my arm was on fire, and now I can't like I can't even glance anything with it. I, I smacked it. Never smacked it that hard before. No, no, I wasn't laughing. Oh. It was f- tears of fear. Well, thankfully, I'm catching a cold. <laughs> Let's start with a prayer. Father, we come in Jesus' name. So, Lord, as we look to your word tonight, we ask that you would grant us wisdom and instruction. Those things that you have for our lives, Lord, for our lives today. The things that you want to speak to us about tonight. Our individual hearts, Lord, the way you're able to deal with each one of us at the same time. On many different levels. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Cause your Spirit to settle upon us. We would have that understanding. That you would give us that uh, desire to live a life pleasing to you, Lord. That you'd give us a desire to repent from our sin. So cleanse our hearts, Lord, we ask. The blood of your Son. And open our hearts and minds tonight to your word. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him to the south. And Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. He went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been in the beginning between Bethel and Ai. To the place of the altar which he had made there at first, And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Lot, also, who went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. So Abram said to Lot, Please, Let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted his eyes and he saw the plains of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go toward Zoar. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities and the plain, and pitched his tent, his tent even as far as Sodom. Then the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. And the Lord said to Abram, After Lot had separated from him, lift 
your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants forever, and I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants could also be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth tree of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and he built an altar there to the Lord. An old man once dreamed unhappily about his past. He saw before him a long list of things in his life which were wrong and for which he was sorry and ashamed. In his dream, he was about to seize a sponge and rub these things out of his biography when to his amazement, he discovered that wherever there were deeds of gold shining through the story of his life, they had been wrought there by regret and sorrow over past transgressions. And that if he wiped out those acts, he would at the same time destroy whatever of nobleness or beauty there were in his character. Thus, it is even that, even in our sin and follies, repented of can be made stones in the walls of a godly life. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. I've been referring to that verse personally here in the last few months. I I have to continually remind myself that God is working all things for my good. No matter how despicable they seem to be to me at the time. Abram has just just been delivered out of a horrible situation in chapter 12. Henry shared last week. As as I read chapter 12, it's easy to just kind of read read over and yeah, and 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 Lot, you know, or uh, Abram just said, you know, asked his wife, hey, uh, just tell him you're my brother and. You know, it'll all be cool, and then next thing you know, she's in, in Pharaoh's house, and he's outside, you know, wondering what's going on, and, oh, okay, all of a sudden, in chapter 13, you know, he's, he's, they're back together, and that was no big deal. But if you stop at chapter 12 and, and dig into that thing, are you kidding me? This guy basically abandoned his wife. He was concerned about his own skin above the safety of his wife. I don't know what he was thinking. But it was God's mercy that delivered him, his wife, and all that he owned in 1220. Look at it. It says, So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Pharaoh could have just said, Off with his head. Apart from salvation, our wives and our children are without our wives and our children are without doubt the greatest and most valuable gift God has or will ever give to us. 
We must sacrifice ourselves for them. We must protect them. We must provide for them. And above all things, we must love them. And we're supposed to love them like this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and he gave himself for her, Ephesians 5.25. I need to die for my wife. I need to die for my kids. And it's easy to, to sit here and think, yeah, I'd, I'd do that. No problem. But do I actually do it every day? So we pick it up here in verse 1. Abram leaves Egypt, I'm sure with his tail between his legs, and I'm sure a sigh of relief. And he heads up from Egypt back toward where God had sent him originally, the land of Canaan. Remember in, uh, back in uh, chapter 12, verse 1. Excuse me. God told Abram to get moving. And in verse 5, he left Haran in the north, which is modern-day Lebanon. And in verse 6, he headed south into Canaan, arriving at Shechem. Shechem is in the mountain range uh, about halfway between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. And um, I, back in 98, I had a chance to go with the church and, and tour around in a bus and, and drive around Israel and see all the historical sites. And it's, I guess the, the main thing that, that intrigued me when I, when I first arrived in this, this land, this area, was, was really how small it was and how close everything was together. Um, how the, the, the Lebanese border, the northern Lebanese border, from the Egypt border, Egyptian border, was, was a day's drive. I mean, at one point, we stood in, in an area of uh, Nimrod's castle up in Dan, and our tour guide said, now look out to the, to the east over there, and you see that, that, that ridge out there, you know, out on the horizon? That, that's Jordan over there. And, and, and you could almost see every border that Israel had with the naked eye. That's how small this place is. So anyway, Abram lands in Shechem there, and he's, he's up on that mountain range. And if you look to the east, you look down in the, the, um, the Jordan Valley, and you can see the, the Jordan River down there, if, as long as there's not a mountain peak or something in front of you. So he's kind of, if you, if you can picture a map, he's, he's halfway between Galilee and the, and the Dead Sea. There's the Jordan Valley, and he's up here in Shechem, kind of overlooking that valley. It's the area of Samaria during the time of Jesus when he walked the earth. Shechem is where the Lord appeared to Abram and said, This is the land that I'm giving you in 12.7. 12.7 says, The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Anytime we see Abram building an altar, he's, he's basically setting up a place of worship. He was smack dab in the middle of God's will at this time, back in 12.7. He was in fellowship with God. He was worshiping God. And in verses 
uh, 8 and 9 of chapter 12, Abram was still in good shape, slowly moving south, exploring the land that God had given him, building yet another altar. And then, as you know, he freaks out when the food gets scarce and heads south, going down, down, down to Egypt. Egypt is always depicted as a type of the world. So after taking a beating down in the world, he figures he better get back to where he started, back to where he was walking with God, back to where he was seeking God in his presence. As men, this is especially true for us. When we go astray and we finally realize it, we need to run, not walk, back to God. Listen to Jesus in Revelation chapter 2. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, I write, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And that you have tested those who say they are apostles and they are not. And you have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience. And have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you. That you have left your first love. Remember therefore from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly. And I will remove your lampstand from its place. Unless you repent. You know, as I'm preparing these Bible studies. You know, I sit down with the Bible and my computer, and I'm like, all right, Lord, you know, what's it going to be? You know, and what are we going to get for the guys? And every single time it's, it's no, it's, this, this is for you, sonny boy. And so, I don't know what it is. The older I get, like the more kind of weepy I get, it's kind of a weird thing, but when, when the Lord speaks to my heart, When he speaks to my soul, when he reaches down inside and grabs that invisible part of me that only he can deal with, I weep. And he just just flattens me as I go through these studies. And then when I get to the end, he's like, that's what I wanted to show you, sonny boy. Now go share it with the fellas. So these studies that I give are... They're for me. And as I read this section in Revelation here, as I, I remember just reading that and, and pasting that into my notes here and just thinking, holy mackerel, that this is me. I hate evil. I work hard. I repent. I try not to become weary. But have... At times, have I just walked away from my first love? Now look at, notice at verse 3. He goes back to his beginning point. This is like his new life in Christ. I mean, he, he made a narrow escape out of Egypt, if you ask me. Abram considers his beginning here to be at the age 75 or so when God spoke to him at Bethel and he began to walk with God. My beginning point was 
age 26, November 20th, 26. November 20th, I wrote down my wrong salvation date. Look at that. November 20th, 1996, 8.15 p.m., Universal Amphitheater, Orchestra Pit. The same, I was standing, the, the place I was standing in that theater was the same place I had been standing two years earlier, smoking a joint, watching The Grateful Dead. Two years later, I'm standing in the same spot, accepting Christ. I mean, it had to be within 30, 40 feet. I was right there again. And the Lord showed me that. Look where you're at. Whoa. I was a little weirded out at the time. I, I mean, I've shared with you guys before, you know, there's, there's like, it's like a thousand guys accepting Christ at the time. And a lot of them are crying. And I was like, oh, I want to get out of here. This is weird. That's how I felt. I, that's what I was telling myself. I remember this guy just kind of leaning on my back, like crying. And I was like, <laughs> all right, uh, let's, let's get it going, preacher. <laughs> I got to get my free Bible. Is I mean, are we about done here? Because I'm not feeling too comfortable. And, and, but so I said the prayer, and man, God saved me. It wasn't like Paul on the road to Damascus. He got floored and bright lights. And Lord, what would you have me to do? I mean, me, it was like, I mean, I don't even think there was that much faith involved in my salvation. I mean, just a Smidgen. I'm like, okay, all right, I'll, I'll try Jesus. Sure, I'll give it a shot. Bam, Lord save me. Second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You've heard the old saying. Born twice, die once. Wait, is that right? Born twice, die once. Born once, die twice. I share that with my fifth and sixth graders. I get to teach the fifth and sixth graders on a weekly basis here over in the other building. And, God, you know, my my message to them is, is we go through, you know, curriculum in the scriptures. We, we, we systematically go through the Bible. Every five years, so we've been through the Bible a few times since I've been here. But I'm always there's always this this background, this underlying message, right, Alex? That you gotta you gotta walk with God because if you die without Jesus, you're gonna cook forever. And I'm not trying to scare these kids, but to to me, it's. That's what they need to hear, man, every week. You're born twice, you only die once. If you're born once, you only die twice. You're going to die twice. You, you get born of the flesh, and then you will experience the second death. Now, notice in verse 4, he went back to the place where he built the altar. Right? So he's coming out of Egypt. 
I bet, I wonder if his wife slapped him when, when they pushed her out of Pharaoh's front door. You remember that scene in, um, little side note here, it, it, it just floored me. I'm watching Saving Private Ryan for the first time. You guys remember this one? And halfway through the movie, Vin Diesel, he's on that patrol and they're looking for Ryan and they discover this family that's hiding in a, in a shelled out building and this, this man has his daughter. You guys remember this scene? And he, and he, he thrusts his eight or ten year old daughter into the hands of this soldier thinking the soldier is going to carry her to safety and protect her and she flips right and the sniper starts going on him and next thing you know she they they drop the girl and she runs back to her father and her father scoops her back up and he's bringing her back inside the building and she just starts smacking him you guys remember that oh i tell you Anytime children are involved, you, you go right to my core. So he builds the altar. It goes back to the place where he first built the altar. So he's, he's thinking, man, I've, I've, I've made it out of this thing alive. Uh, where, where do I, what do I do? Where do I go? Well, I remember I was okay in Bethel. Where I was worshiping God, you know, maybe I, maybe I, I ought better go back there, and so that's what he does. That's a that's a good decision, Abram. He's like hitting the reset button on his life. We don't we don't get men's retreats too often. I think we get them about every once every three four years, maybe. My wife gets to go to the, with the women's every year. I, I make her go. I buy her a ticket. I say, you're going. But come back. Because I, I can't feed them kids for three days straight. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> That's hard work. It's so much easier for me to go dig a ditch and lay a sewer pipe. But for me, going to a, a men's retreat is, is always... It's always a blessing. It's like it's like a reset button for me. You know, you get you get away, and it's just us, right? There's, there's, it's just us and the Lord, and we can we can get together and we can sing flat and we can sing sharp and we can have rhythms that are off, and it doesn't matter. And we just come together and we pray and we seek God, and it's just it's powerful. So we see that Abram is repentant. He's, he's made a 180 degree turn from the road to sin and death. And he's heading now back in the direction of God. He's, he's leaving the world. And he's going back to where he last was in communication with God. A little side note here. Verse 2 tells us that Abram was very rich. And so I, I look at that at two ways. Either Satan was trying to draw Abram away from God with the deceitfulness of riches. Matthew 13, 22, Jesus said, Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the world and the cares of, sorry, hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word 
and it becomes unfruitful. If Satan can't succeed in completely tearing us away from God, he will settle for causing us to be unfruitful. Anything to take you out of the fight. Anything to keep me complacent. Hey, you... You, you, want to, you want to serve in the teaching ministry? You want to serve in the worship ministry? You want to serve in the children's ministry, Daryl? Fine, no problem. But, but maybe I'll provide you with a, an, a fat income. I'll distract you there. Or some fine, wiggly little female over in the workplace. Or, you know, I mean, okay, all right, I'm, I, I get it. I can't tear you away. So he's going to hit me from different angles. That's the way the enemy works. We need to recognize that. He wants me to be unfruitful. And there ain't nothing worse than a Christian who is not an active member of the body. It's like my thumb. Can you imagine if my thumb decided it just ain't going to do its thing no more? Now, when I smash it, I wrap it up and we heal it up. But we, we, we're, we're waiting for that thing to, to be back in action. We need it back. Now, I understand there's an exception. If you're, if you're new here, grab a seat. We want to see your face every week. We want to see you in Bible study. We want to get to know you. We want to meet your family. And we want to spend about six months or so getting to know you before we put you in with our kids. So you're new. Or there's that waiting period. Or maybe, maybe I've gotten myself involved in some sin and we've had to deal with it and we've had to make some corrections. So I sit down for a while. With the understanding that I'm going to get right, I'm going to get back in fellowship, and I'm going to get back into, into ministry somewhere. I'm, I've got to become a functioning member of the body. Everything does a job. You're a finger, you're a toe, you're an ear, you're an eye, you're a nose, you're a head, you're a hand, you're a foot, you're a leg. You are something. And if you are sitting here occupying a chair for an hour and a half and then leaving and never serving the body something is wrong you're a you're a, a broken piece that i need my gift is for you your gift is for me that's that's just biblical that's what the bible teaches or maybe it's not satan that's making him rich God is simply choosing to bless Abram with earthly possessions in spite of his sin. I know this to be true of myself. I don't know if it's Satan or God sometimes, but I know that if I'm receiving a blessing, whether it's a paycheck, whether it's a a pat on the back, whether it's a kiss from my wife, it's in spite of me. It is in spite of me and my sin. I fail God miserably every day. Yet he has chosen to bless me with a solid career and a steady income. 
It is not because I'm so smart or because I'm such a hard worker. I know people that are way smarter and work way harder that got put in unemployment. God's dealing with them on something. I'm not a wealthy man, but I do consider myself to be rich. And I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about eternal life. Verse 5 through 7. We have the first cowboys in the Bible. Verse 5 indicates that Lot, who was Abram's nephew, chapter 11, verse 31 tells us, was also very rich in livestock. Verse 6 tells us that the land could not support both in the same geographic area. Literally, the land could not bear it. You got cows eating up the grass. Grass needs time to grow. So they're running out of grass and water. I got off on this little math, this little math tangent here. So if you guys will bear with me. Because I started thinking like, well, how many cows were there? I love cowboy movies, man. A man, a gun, a horse, and a saloon. <laughs> Black and white, I'll watch that all day long. Um, sort of lost my place here. I'm talking about the cowboys. John Wayne, you shouldn't have done that. All right, so, so depending on the quality of the grazing pasture, and this, so this is, this is me and Siri now, okay? Siri, how many acres can support a cow? Let me check on that. Siri had some answers. So depending on the quality of the grazing pasture, a single cow can require anywhere from four to 100 acres per year. So it's all dependent on how good is the grass. Okay, if it's green and thick and awesome and good, it's going to support that cow in a, in a tight area. But if it's dried and scratchy and sparse, and it's going to require more land, more acreage. 640 square acres equals a square mile. At five acres per cow per year, that's 128 cows. Okay, so did Abram have 128 cows? Did Lot have 128 cows? We don't know. What we do know is that the cowboys were fighting, and the land could not bear the cattle. To me, there's a lot of cows. So let's say each man had 100 cows. They would need approximately two square miles or cows for approximately 8,000 feet in any direction. That's a lot of cows, 8,000 feet. A mile's 5,280. 
I believe these to be conservative estimates. <clears throat> and so when I got to this point, the Lord said, okay, that's enough. <laughs> but I'm guessing the acreage needed per cow in that area was on the low end, and, and it was based on verse 10. Verse 10 tells us what? That Lot lifted his eyes and he saw all the plains of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go toward Zor. Verse 7 indicates that there was overcrowded livestock conditions. Keep in mind, up in the region of Bethel and Shechem, it's semi-mountainous, okay? It's not just a, like, it's not football fields. There's ravines and hills and areas of grazing grass in between, and they were being decimated. There were watering holes, springs and rivers and creeks that were being overcrowded. And this raised tensions between the cowboys who worked for Lot and for Abram, the herdsmen. Now, verses 8 through 10, Abram sets, uh, steps up and, and does the mature, godly thing. He identified that there was a problem, and instead of ignoring it, instead of attempting to dominate his nephew and coercing him to move over, he takes the high road to diffuse and to solve the problem. This is what God expects of the believer as well. This is what God expects of us. 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 8, bear with me here. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more the things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning the things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one who will be able to judge between his brethren? But brother goes to law against brother? And before unbelievers? Paul is just pulling his hair out. Now therefore... It is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourself be cheated? Verse 8, no, you yourselves do wrong and cheat. And you do these things to your brethren. Men, we have the word of God. We have studied it. We have read it. If you've, if you've been here for any period of time under Xavier, it is, it is embedded in our minds and our hearts and our souls. We have the mind of Christ to know right from wrong, or at least we should. So Abram approaches his nephew in a spirit of humility and meekness. Romans 12, 18 says, If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men, if it is possible. And keep in mind, as, as I'm going through this, you know, and I'm, 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 God's showing me this stuff, he's just slashing my heart. Because I don't live peaceably with all men. 
and he and he 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 he, he, he says the names of the people that I have problems with. What about so and so? Sonny boy, as you jot down that verse to give to the men. What about so and so? And just the, the Lord just bringing back to my mind. Even as I read it now, I, people are coming to mind. It's like that I am not living peaceably with. Verse Abram or verse nine. Abram says, "Please." He uses that term, "please." Then Lot. Then let's Lot choose the first and best area. Abram settles for the second best of the land, but I'm sure Abram is confident that God will continue to bless him. Abram is not concerned that there's green grass over there, there's brown grass over there. He's going to let the kid choose. And he's, Abram is not worried about getting stuck with brown grass. He's not got his mind on the things of this world or the ways of man. He's starting to learn that no matter what he does, as long as he walks with God, he will be provided for. Let me ask you something. Do you have plans in the near future or the distant future or the long-term future to stop blessing your children? When, when, they, when they turn 18, that's it. Turn off the blessing machine. Or maybe when they get married. That's it. No more blessings. That's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm out of blessings. Or when they, no, we'll wait till they have kids, you know, grandkids. And then we'll, we'll shift our blessing onto the, the little ones and we'll stop blessing our children. Of course not. It's a rhetorical question. Those kinds of things pop up in the Bible all the time. Rhetorical questions with an obvious answer. Of course not. We intend to bless our children till our last dying breath. So likewise, neither does God have any plans to stop or slow down the blessings that he wants to bestow on us, his children. In fact, the blessings are only going to intensify and to increase until the day when he takes us home, home into paradise, streets of gold, the tree of life on both sides of the throne, the spirit, the river flowing out from the throne. We have mansions with our own name in heaven, in, in, in our father's house. We are going to be with him forever. We are going to be in his presence, never apart from him. And when we see him, we are going to be like him. The righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. There's no sun, no moon in heaven. There ain't no need because God and the lamb are the light thereof. And when we see him, we will be like him. We are going to be walking around heaven shining like stars. <laughs> I like to think about that kind of stuff. It's so awesome. He's going to bless, 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 better, better, stronger, higher, more until boom, paradise, the ultimate. Thank you, Lord. So verse 10, Lot makes an observation here. He knows a good thing when he sees it. The plain of Jordan at this time was like a well-watered paradise. 
green and beautiful. Like the garden of the Lord. Eden. Before the fall. When there was no rain. Mist came out of the ground and watered the earth. There was a, a, a firmament canopy that protected the earth. It was like a tropical paradise. Unlike today, that area over in the Middle East is a barren wasteland. Verse 11 gives us a glimpse into what kind of man Lot is. He's selfish. Lot chooses the best for himself. Now, I don't know about you, but when, when I'm at home and, I'm, and I'm, I'm the grill master, I'm running the grill, first thing I do is I identify the steak that I'm having. The biggest one, the thickest one, the juiciest one. That one's mine. <laughs> it even goes on the sweet spot. My grill has a sweet spot? Why is that? I mean, they can't just be equal. Like, you can cook, like, five steaks perfectly all over the place. No, there's, like, there's one spot where... <laughs> that's where I put my steak. <laughs> Lord showed me that. On... <laughs> I thought I was just being a good steward of the meat that I bought. We're selfish, are we not? Thank you. Philippians 2.3 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. That is impossible to do apart from the Spirit of God. It is impossible. It's even hard to think about. That I'm going to esteem you guys better than myself. I mean, I, I want that to be true. I know that that's what God wants me to do. But in the flesh, apart from the spirit, it is impossible to esteem others better than yourself. And when we do place someone in front of us or above us or better than us, I guarantee you it's because we're walking in the spirit. Selfish ambition is certainly one of my main problems. We men are rarely satisfied with what we have or where we are at. Proverbs 27.20 says, Hell and destruction are never full. So the eyes of man are never satisfied. Keep in mind, however, the Bible calls Lot righteous. We look at him and we think, this, this guy is selfish. He's only concerned about himself, which is true. It's true of us. And the Bible turns around and says, righteous Lot. And then it turns around and says, righteous Alex. And righteous dawn and righteous anyone who has put their trust in Christ. I mean, Lot is a perverse sinner. I mean, later on we read, you know what he he gets into Sodom and he 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 turns his daughters out to these perverts to be raped. I mean, it's like I had to read that again. Like, whoa, wait, what just happened? That guy's sick. And the Bible calls him righteous. So there is hope for me and you. Second Peter 6, 8, turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemning them to destruction, making them an example who 
to those who after would live ungodly and delivered righteous lot who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. My righteousness, righteousness is not based on what I do, but what on, Je- on what Jesus did. God put his son on the cross, took all my sin, all your sin, put it on his son, on his son and killed his son. In my place. Left me over here and took all the righteousness off of Jesus and put it on me. He switched them. And the Bible says if I would just believe that. I'll be saved. And so now God when he looks down at me. He, he's, looking at, he's looking at me. He's looking at you through the lens of his son. He doesn't see me and my sin. He sees his son's righteousness imparted to me. <laughs> it's, it's an amazing thing. Notice Abram doesn't protest Lot's selfish decision. He simply accepts it and moves on. Abram's confidence is in God, not in people, places, or things. By the way, Jacob and Esau in uh, chapter 36, verse 7, after they were reunited years later, they were so rich in livestock, they had to do the same thing. They, they couldn't dwell together either. There was, they had to split up. Now, verses 12 through 13, Abram chooses Canaan. Sorry. We see the contrasting decisions of the two men. Um, and it, it also, so, so, so Lot goes to Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities, and Abram goes out into Canaan. So we have these these contrasting pictures, these contrasting lifestyles. Verse 13 indicates that the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. We saw this before the flood. God said that the thoughts of men were continually wicked without ceasing. Mankind was so depraved before the flood that God destroyed every single living thing except the animals that went onto the boat and Noah and his family. Everything else he wiped out. I don't think, I mean, this world is bad the way it is now. I, I don't know if... if it's as bad as it was when God flooded the world. I don't know. It's, this world's at least that bad. Nineteen five tells us plainly that Sodom, the city of Sodom, was given over to homosexuality. The angels came and Lot grabs them up, and this was all intertwined with the part where it lot turns his daughters his very own daughters out to these perverts so that they could have sex with them instead of with these men who are actually angels in disguise 1820 says that sodom's sin was very grave now i understand what god is saying about this type of sin it's the ultimate rebellion men with men disgusting the pinnacle of going against god's natural design but what about a heterosexual man who's a liar 
Is that any worse? What about a thief? What about someone who hates? Is that any worse? I can tell you that God is just as disgusted with this type of sin. It's all sin. Pencil thief, homosexual, murderer, they're all going to be in the same place. They are all going to be separated from God in the lake of fire. Eternal separation from God is not based on what type of sin I'm into. Sin in any form gets me a ticket to hell. Verses 14 through 17, God promises Abram the land. I find it interesting that Abram is in the middle of his promised land right now. Not only is he, in, is he in the middle of the land, he's also in the middle of God's will for his He's like back where he belongs. He's back in the middle of God's will. That's, there's hope for me, man. I can, I can wander and stray and get beat up and God's going to call me and he's going to bring me back into fellowship. It's never too late. God said, look in every direction. What do you see? It's all yours. As far as you can see in any direction, Abram, it's yours. It belongs to every generation that will ever arise from your bloodline. Innumerable. He said, take a handful of dust. Now number the dust. If you can do that, you'll be able to number your descendants. But since you can't, you won't be able to. As I grow older, my thinking changes in many ways. You guys notice this, right? But it's mostly toward my children. I, my, my greatest concern is for my children. My greatest fear in this life is that something wrong or bad would happen to my children. Job said, the thing that I feared most has come upon me. You want to wipe me out? Do something to my child. I want to leave a legacy that is anchored and centered around God. That's what, as, as a, a man who's growing older, that's, that's what I want. A legacy that is anchored and centered around God. I want my children to walk with God above all else. I don't care what else they do. Beyond walking with God. You understand? It don't matter. It is the only thing that is eternal. My relationship with God. It is the only thing that I can take with me into eternity. And without that relationship, there is no life. It's the second death for the unbeliever in Revelations 21.8. Without Jesus. God wants to give you and your children the land. Jesus said, do not fear my little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God is trying to give us heaven. He's, he's waiting. He, he wants to bless us with it. And notice last verse 18, he moves south to Hebron. South of what would someday become Bethlehem. 
And notice he builds an altar there. He worships God. I guarantee you that Abram is a happy and a peaceful man during this period in his life. This is where the Lord wants us to be. In the middle of his will, worshiping him, content in him, because we are going home soon, fellas. There's a story of an old king who was suffering from a painful ailment whose astrologer told him that the only cure was to find a contented man, get his shirt, and wear it night and day. So messengers were sent throughout the king's realm in search of such a man with orders to bring back his shirt. Months passed, and after a thorough search of the country, the messengers returned, but without the shirt. Did you find the contented man in all my realm? The king asked. Yes, O king, we found one. Just one in all thy realm, they replied. Then why did you not bring back his shirt, the king demanded? Master, the man had no shirt. (laughs) Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you that you have taken us as your children. And you have claimed responsibility for our lives. Plant in us a desire to walk with you and to love you. And to honor you. Plant a desire in us Lord. To serve our wives and our children. And to leave that legacy Lord. To spend that time with them. To build that legacy of of being anchored and centered in you. Lord that they would live it out. We love you God. For what you've done for us. And we commit this evening to you in Jesus name. Amen.